From Potomac Fund Management, this is the Conquer Risk Podcast. Join us as we discuss the business of running an RIA firm and the practice of investment management. And now, our hosts. Welcome to the Conquer Risk Podcast. My name is Manish Kata, and with me, which is not always, right? It seems like it's been a while. Is, uh, it has been a while. <laughs> Jeff Goodnow here at Potomac as well. Uh, before we jump in today, uh, <laughs> I've gotten a lot of questions and comments and snarred freaking remarks about living in my parents' basement. And so I feel like it needs to be addressed. Uh, maybe I should stop talking about personal things. But look, I so I temporarily went back to Maryland to look for a house. Uh, we stayed with uh, my parents for a little bit. Uh, seven and a half weeks, you know, we probably saw 30 places getting outbid left and right. People were, you know, offering almost 20 to 30% above ask, sight unseen, uh, waiving contingencies, even on homes that were built in the 70s, uh, you know, waiving inspection contingencies, just an insane amount of craziness. And it got so frustrating to the point where, you know, we have a baby due and I needed to make a decision. And we knew some friends back down in Florida where, where we uh, you know, have lived for the past six years and were able to get a vacation rental. Uh, but, you know, since this is a financial advisor podcast, maybe other people have similar stories. I keep hearing them from people I talk to about how crazy it is out there. Um, you know, we're not moving because of the pandemic. We're moving because we, we just have too many children and need more room. Um, but it's absolutely insane that this is, I've never lived through, and hopefully some people who have purchased homes in, you know, 2006, 2008 can comment here. Uh, I've never lived through this type of, uh, uh, bubble. I don't even know if it's a bubble maybe it keeps going. I don't know this type of insanity. Um, but that's, that's where my life is. And I, I finally got an office as well. What's up with you? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm proud to see that you're no longer sitting in a lawn chair or, well, I think, um, <laughs> And then you've you've no, I'm not, I'm not in you, the you've chair. progressed past your your parents' basement. Although it was a nice basement when you first told me about the basement, I thought for sure when I was going to see it the first time, it was going to be you know like the concrete walls and you know some stacks of old boxes and dolls hanging out the side or something. But uh, it's all good. Like uh, so anyway, no, good to hear that you're you're back where where you uh, you know are a little bit more comfortable. Look, one of the things uh, I'm going to go into something here. I, I one of the things that comes across uh, came across my desk in the last week. Uh, you know, as I'm doing different research on different pieces, um, I, it's interesting to me. There are two different companies, totally unrelated, but I have to tell this little story. And I'm going to start with telling you a little bit about Exxon. For those of you who don't know, right? Exxon Mobil is a huge company. This this company started 135 years ago, right? Really, the behemoth of the behemoths until you get stuff like Apple today. Uh, 75,000 employees, right? Back in 07, before it was sort of their peak of market cap. And we've had some of this market cap discussion before about other companies. But they were about $520 billion in market cap. And, you know, that's that's pretty awesome right up to the point where now, here it is, you know, not even 10 years later, uh, you know, they're down at about $142 billion. And there's a lot of stories out there uh, about Exxon and what's going on. We all know oil has sucked for the last year or so. But start with that as a base. Now, I'm going to hit another company, totally unrelated, and that's Snowflake, right? A data cloud computing company. Nifty, right? It's an eight-year-old company that did an IPO 30 days ago. It opened at $120, went up to $319, and has settled around $230, $240 for the last 30 days. 
that's actually a $65 billion market cap company in 30 days. That's, that's mm -hmm. almost half the size of ExxonMobil with 75,000 employees. These things blow my mind. Uh, how, do you, how do you look at fundamentals and say on, on day one of the opening of an IPO that they, did they value it that wrong, that $120, some knucklehead paid $319? Where, well, where is I that mean, work? listen, it, this, it's, it's, it, fu fundamentals just don't matter. Yeah. They just don't matter. It's, it's, such, it's such crap to think that you are going to purchase a stock based on fundamentals in this type of environment. We had how many Zoom calls today? <laughs> you know, four or five with different people. Yeah. Zoom has a price-to-earnings ratio of 664. How <laughs> do you justify that in any world? And so this is, this is the point of this podcast. Right. Um, we wanted to touch on 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 how you know processes and systems are put in place, and 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 we've always been out there uh, vocal about the fact that the price is king. You know the, these these fundamental stats are utterly pointless and useless to do anything. Yeah, and and that's uh, absolutely that's the, it, it is a long winded way to get to the beginning of our podcast. But we really wanted to talk about what what are indicators? What do we what do we use? How do you combine them? Why do you combine them? Are they valuable? Those sorts of things. So this podcast is really primarily a portfolio management focus. And so on that note, I mean, let's let's get started and, and see where this leads us. So I'm going to ask you, I mean, first off, just describe what an indicator is just so we're all on the same page. Well, so as a firm, we use technical analysis. That's that's not a secret to folks who know us. Um, and most people think technical analysis is just sitting around looking at charts all day um, and, and drawing squiggly lines to connect them. And, and part of that is, uh, is sort of true. Um, however, our brand of technical analysis is called system trading, where we're using actual quant indicators uh, that are based on statistics uh, in the TA world. Um, but we're creating indicators. A quick example, you want to judge something based on volume. So let's say you say, I want to me measure a volume burst, which would be maybe upside volume divided by downside volume. I'm sorry, upside volume divided by total volume. And that gives you a number. And then you create a, a formula that says if that number is over a certain amount, you know, you would buy the market and then you go back and test that. And that's a small example of what an indicator actually is. You are taking statistics uh, around TA stats, such as volume, market internals, breadth, actually whatever you want to come up with, any type of data point, and creating a formula, some logic behind it uh, to see if it gives you any indication uh, on market direction. And that's the, you know, roundabout definition of what an indicator is for the most part. Right. And so uh, from, from that standpoint, now that we know what an indicator is, I mean, just uh, give me a ballpark. How many indicators do we use as a, as a professional money manager? That might be something. I get that question actually fairly frequently, so I hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Well, <laughs> to, when, you, when you talk about system trading, right? right? System trading is, is looking at these indicators. To us, the, the holy grail of system trading is the combination of uncorrelated indicators. And what that means at its core is that if you have 10 indicators that all follow market breadth, they're going to you know, usually tell you the same 10 answers. 
and, and that's not what you want. You're trying to create a system of checks and balances, of risk management uh, that can get you in the market at the right time and obviously control your drawdown. So it, you, you, you can't have a handful of indicators uh, because there's just not enough data, right? You're, you're not going to get enough trades if you only use a little. And you can't have, you know, 100 or 200 because it'll be all over the place. So, you know, generally speaking, you know, we're testing indicators on a regular basis, but our systems are based around anywhere from 15 to 25 separate indicators. Okay. Well, let's see. You, you hit on something that I think is, is valuable. You said testing, right? Can you give us an example of what kinds of testing we do on, on like a recurring basis or is it just an ad hoc? I mean, what's that process look like? Because, and, and let me rephrase this. The reason I asked the question is because there are a lot of advisors, portfolio managers out there. And I don't know as a lot of people realize the difference between institutional money management and the things that we do when it's, this is the only thing that you're, you know, that you, we as a team are doing is, is this sort of, of money management. Yeah. So our, our big belief in terms of the firm's philosophy stems from, we're John Murphy disciples. So John Murphy is an old school TA guy that coined the term intermarket analysis, which essentially means uh, measuring two different data points uh, and dissecting the relationship between those to come up with a logical conclusion. And for example, if the market's making a new high and utilities are not confirming that high, what does that tell you about the strength of the high? The reason I'm bringing this up is one of the big testing components of what we do is the combination of these different indicators. So let's assume you have 20 indicators and the, the way we structure it is these can be used individually. You can take any of these indicators and go out and buy and sell just based on that. Mm -hmm. But what we found is to create a, uh, a more fail-safe system is to combine the indicators. So, for example, let's say you start with a base long-term system, something like I'm just going to make up stuff like a 50 to 80 month moving average, whatever you want to call it. And then on top of that, you start stacking these uh, these indicators that maybe don't fire off as much, like a VIX system or a volume system. And what the testing means is we are testing the combination of those systems. So if the long-term moving average and a VIX system fire together, what is the historical risk and return ratio of that combination indicator? And also, how many times did it fire off? I mean, you can't have a system that just had one trade in the past 20 years, right? That's not logical to put into place uh, for a real-life trading uh, scenario. So to answer your question, the, the long-winded way, the testing begins with taking these indicators uh, and, and combining them together to determine if you want to be in the market and, and to what aggressive nature you want to invest in. Gotcha. Um, along that lines, I, I, yeah, let's speak to some of the scenarios or an example of when maybe data changes or is there ever a time when an indicator either just stops working or, you know, for some reason you have to stop using it. Yeah. I, you know, you get these questions a lot because people will say, yep. well, how do you look at a track record? You know, if, you know, did anything change in the past 20 or 30 years? Yep. And I think it's the most disingenuous thing to tell someone that your system has remained the same. And in most cases, if money managers tell you that your, their system has remained the same, <laughs> I, I think they're, I think they're, I think they're lying. I think it's, I think it's absolutely, um, horseshit to sit here and say that you are using the exact same system you use for the past 20 or 30 years, right? 
A great example, like you mentioned, is data changes, right? We had systems built on the Dow Jones 20 bonds, which is one of the original bond in indices that were created. It's long been changed, so you have to either adjust your system or use new data points. Uh, another great example I use is we have an um, a indicator based on Federal Reserve discount rate and, and uh, how it functions. It was never designed for negative rates or close to negative rates because when it was created, uh, it, it was that was never a possibility, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, so it, listen, if you're a programmer and you have a formula that's based on logic and then you have a negative number you put in there, it throws everything to hell in a handbasket. So yeah. you have to change your system and adjust it. The core framework stays the same. Uh, and I, my, my analogy is always a house, right? You, you, you very rarely change the foundation and the framework of your house, but you are definitely updating your windows and your kitchen and your bathroom. And there's no different when you're building these systems. Things have to be updated and kept up with the times, but the basic philosophy and framework typically stays the same. And that's where, as an advisor, I would recommend you, you, uh, you run the other way when managers change the entire underlying framework of how they manage money. Yeah, it's, it's funny on, uh, you know, you use a house analogy. I use uh, 1999 as analogy, an analogy on individual indicators because, uh, you know, you think back to computer programmers for, you know, for a number of years, right, on, on personal computers were plugging in the two-digit year as part of the coding, and suddenly 2000 came about, and, and, you know, that was coming up. And 1999, they all went, oh, shit. Right. I mean, sometimes you just you have something that wasn't in planned for. It wasn't intended. No one thought about it. The market changes in some manner and you have to make an adjustment. It doesn't mean that it's broken. Look, we went, everybody went through 2000. Fine. Right. The New Year's happened and suddenly everybody went back to work like, OK, well, that was nothing. Um, and it's the same sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we have a system. We were just we're just pro, we're reprogramming a lot of our systems into new piece of software, and we have some day based systems where it's like you know holiday maybe trades where you say you know three days before Christmas or something like that, um, and and what happened when we did this new programming? We we finished it all. We're excited. We're ready to go. And then I'm sitting there thinking, what happens if Christmas is on a Saturday? Like, how is the system going to know that that Friday is off? Yeah. Um, and then, well, here you go. You got to rebuild it again to to enter that logic in. So, it's once again, it's disingenuous to say things have changed. Things absolutely have changed, uh, and and you have to adjust on the fly as yeah. as you as you change with it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, any other thoughts before we we conclude this part of the uh, podcast? Uh, no. What about you? I mean, I think you 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 field a lot of these questions. Yeah. So, what what has come up that that maybe we haven't covered here in terms of you know the, the technical side or the indicator side of how we manage money? Yeah. Well, I think the predominantly for me and the discussions that I have, it, it all revolves around the fact that after we tell our story and, and much of, of what you've spoken of today, it's about the fact that, and, and, and I'm going to quote you, process can be repeated, a gut feeling cannot. And that's what it all boils down to. Our mentality, it doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but our mentality is we have to have a process and this process for us involves technical analysis and using these various indicators and things that we've put together that, that can be repeated, right? They give scores, they give measurements, they give data for us to then uh, be able to execute on. 
And, and that's something that I think is very important because, uh, and I'm going to give a quote. I want to make sure I quote the right folks. I just saw this tweet uh, was either yesterday or this morning. <laughs> At 7investing put a, a tweet out that asked this question, which stock did you sell too soon that still haunts you? And I thought that was a wonderful question because my response was basically if it, selling any stock haunts you after you're done, then you probably didn't have a process involved. Right, because if you're following your process, as long as your process is working, there there shouldn't be any hindsight concerns. There shouldn't be any scare. Uh, might be some testing, right, to make sure that you still like what you see. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was a, a very insightful question. Uh, but that's the answer that it made me think of, and that's what I want to carry to this podcast: is whatever your process is, stick to your guns. Don't waver. Don't play favor. Oh well, FOMO. I want to. I want to make sure I get Snowflake. I want to, you know, make sure I get something else to keep up with, uh, you know, with the market. Follow your process. And that's you know what that's a great point because you and I talk about a lot of these uh, email notification systems out there that that send you trade signals. Mm-hmm. And it, there's a lot of advisors that use that stuff. And I always tell people, it, it's fine. You can use it. You know, make sure they have a real track record. Do your due diligence. But here's the deal: if the market is down 500 points you know, pandemics hitting all over the world and you get a buy signal, what are you going to do? Are you going to execute that or are you going to stand back and start second guessing it? And, and so I, you know, the standard quote for me is either have a process or do nothing, but where you're <laughs> going to mess up is when you do a little bit of each. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's where it messes up. And, and the other thing before we, we move on here is uh, you and I have done a bunch of webinars recently where I literally opened the code. You know, I'm showing people the actual code to the systems, right. how we combine it, what the score combinations look like. And they've come over, come across really well because some of the shit you just can't put into a PowerPoint. Like I, I can't, you know, you can't convey it. I mean, you can convey it with the 30,000 foot jargon nonsense that most investment firms provide, but it doesn't tell you anything. And, and so I think that's a good offer to put out there. If, if you know, we're, we're, we want to be an open book. So you want to see the code, you want to see some of the stuff we're doing, you know, let's hop on a webinar and we'll show it to you. I mean, you're not going to do anything with it. It's not like you're going to run away and start programming systems, but um, I think it helps bolster the point that we, we, we have a process in place. Yeah, I got one for point. you. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to make a 142 page PDF, bro. Screen screen yeah. prints and screen prints. That's, and print that's the new way. By the way, here's a little side note. I thought this was funny. I took I ate lunch and took five minutes and watched CNBC. And one of the things about Zoom was how how it had taken off like a rocket ship, right? And everybody's getting tired of video calls. Well, one of the benefits of a Zoom call, a Zoom video meeting, is that you can tell it to transfer to your phone so you can actually take a walk, right, and step away from the video. So the wave of the future is conference calls. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd like that. <laughs> uh, anyway, on that note, um, I think it's time probably for some uh, for some recommendations. What do you got today? So I in, in one of the past podcasts, I recommended Uber Eats, which is great for delivery of food. Get on your phone. No big deal. Um, the other day I was talking to, I think it was Jennifer, and we're talking about how much we miss kind of getting together and having lunch. And I thought there has to be a way for me to still feed everyone without calling six different places and giving them my credit card. And, and DoorDash came up and DoorDash uh, has actually a slick user interface for companies to feed their employees. You can set a daily limit. You can set um, or give them a gift card. It's up to you how you want to uh, set it up. 
but it's it's really slick. It allows you to still uh, obviously reward people, have a lunch. You don't have to sit on Zoom and fucking eat your salad together. But the point is, <laughs> you can send you can send people lunch, and and so yeah, send your employees some lunch. Don't be a cheap ass DoorDash. That's my recommendation. All right, All right so I got one. Uh, everybody knows if you've watched or listened to any of the podcasts in the past that I've recommended some things that make life a little easier around the office, like uh, the rollerblade wheels for the office chair, the office chair itself. And you ready for this here? This is for those that are listening right now. What you're seeing is I look like I'm walking down the stairs or the balloon deflated or something. Now, suddenly I'm levitating because I now have a Vivo stand up sit down desk. And I will tell you, I absolutely love this thing. Uh, My wife has one. Um, I waited about three or four months to see how she liked it. She loved it, helped her back out. Um, You know, I just, I get tired. You know, we work a lot. And and so sitting in a, number one, living in an RV is tough uh, sometimes when you're working this much. but, But being just in a seated position for hours and hours and hours on end, if I moved around a little bit during this podcast, this is the first one I've done where I was able to stand up. And you you normally stand up on yours, but I don't. And so uh, this was a nice change of pace, but I really love the Vivo stand-up, sit-down desk. Well, it's so really he, great. And the tabletop, hold on. yeah. Hold, hold on, hold on. One thing I you're going to notice if you... You know how I don't know if you're ever a best man at a wedding or we're, we're in a wedding where the where or the person tells you to bend your knees a little bit because if you don't after like 20 <laughs> minutes you might pass out. Yeah. Uh, they sell these things that you you wedge uh, between your uh, below your heels now because if you stand too much, um, you know you you could have some knee problems as well. So. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that'll make it into a future uh, recommendation. Uh, yeah, list. who knows? <laughs> once your knee, once your knees go out in a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> I did, I did buy new shoes that, that fit me better for giving me a little more arch support while I'm standing here. <laughs> oh, you got, you got one of those big chunky black shoes no. that I see at the senior community that they wear. No, well, I do have my AARP card, but I'm not ready for the the, <laughs> the black wedges yet. Hey, I was. Someone <laughs> called me an ageist on Twitter because I'm because I, I I listed the ages of you know the speaker and the president and all that. And so, anyway, I don't know why the hell I'm bringing this up. But anything else going on? At this point in the podcast, Jeff's headset cuts out. There's about two minutes of dead air, and Manish tells everyone to have a good weekend for a podcast that comes out on Wednesday. As editor, I can usually find a workaround in these situations. I tried. Allow me to thank you for watching. Don't forget to subscribe, like, maybe even write us a review on iTunes if you feel so inclined. Join us next week as we host the CEO of Mobile Assistant to talk about some interesting solutions they have built for advisors. Until then. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Potomac Fund Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. 